So, uh, as you know, we're starting this new series. Uh, we're two weeks in already, and we had two introductory series. Now we get into Genesis. Uh, but before we do, just a couple more introductory thoughts. <laughs> and uh, because a book like this, it does, it does need a lot of introduction. But I want to introduce, introduce the series once again as well, kind of why I'm doing this series a little bit. But um, one of the things that, uh, when, when we cast vision a year ago, we, we cast a new vision statement. And when we did that, uh, there's three kind of key pieces underneath it. Now, you know, the vision statement, our main phrase, right, is in, in more fully enjoying, fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And so that's, that's the key, that's the focus. But there's three statements underneath that, and those three statements have three different focuses. One is on uh, relying on God, another is on uh, journeying with the church family, and the third is on engaging our neighbor. Now last year, the whole year, my sermons were kind of centered on engaging our neighbor, reaching out, how do, we, how do we engage our neighbor with the gospel, with the love of Jesus? How do we do that? What's, what's God's call for us in that? And so, uh, so what I want to do is each year I want to take one of those sub kind of titles and I want to preach about that subtitle. And so this year we are moving into, with the book of Genesis, this focus on the first statement, uh, relying on uh, the Holy Spirit, as it says, uh, if you have a vision card, if you don't have a vision card, we have these out there. If you'd like to grab one, you can grab one in your wallet if you want or whatever you want to do. it. Anyway, uh, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word, and prayer is what that statement is. And so, uh, so where does Genesis fit into that? Well, Genesis fits into that because we have to, if we're going to rely on God, we need to know who God is. And so, again, as I've set up in the last couple of weeks, Genesis is about revealing to us who God is and who we are. And uh, as I also quoted a couple of weeks ago, I'll do it again because I think it's key as well. Uh, A.W. Tozer said that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason is, is again, if we have a false perception of who God is, then we're going to live a false life. If we have the right perception about who God is, then we're going to live in accordance with worshiping that one true God. Uh, and so understanding these key, these, these foundations, these roots of our faith is very important of, for us to be able to rely on him. Because we need to know who we're relying on, who we're trusting, who we're putting our faith in. Uh, and so that is uh, why we're doing Genesis this year, and that's kind of the theme of the year, is looking at that first sub-statement, our vision statement, uh, throughout this year. And, uh, and so I hope, you know, I hope we'll get through the whole book of Genesis. I actually still don't know if we'll make it. <laughs> we'll see. I'll try my best to get through the whole thing this year, but uh, it, it may not be possible. I might have to bleed over into 2022, and some of you are going, what, 2022? That's so far away. Uh, I know, it is so far away, but we'll see. Um, all right, so with that, I just want, again, just a reminder of what we're doing and why we're doing this, but also another mention, I wanted to do a, a kind of a conclusion a little bit to our last week's message where we talked about a lot of the mystery in Genesis and how there's a lot of unknown and a lot of things that we can, uh, that just, just don't seem clear. Uh, there's, the, you know, the, whether it was a 24-hour day period of creation or was it longer periods of time? Could be one or the other. Was there a, a flood that was localized or was it a global flood? Uh, wh you know, what is going on? How do we understand? What is, you know, what are these, you know, what's the answers? And, and honestly, Scripture doesn't give us an answer, right? The, uh, uh, do, how do we deal with the sons of God and the Nephilim, right? I mean, what are those, right? We, we don't know. And so there's a lot of mystery with God, and that's okay. However... We need to understand that Genesis records actual historic events. 
Uh, We have a liberal uh, movement in theology today that's been going on for at least 50 years now, Uh, liberal uh, neo-orthodoxy, if you will, that is beginning to attack some of these very core natures and characteristics and attributes of God. And one of the things that they're beginning to do as well is begin to throw up into the air this whole story of Adam and Eve and whether Adam and Eve were actually real people or not. Whether or not there was actually a creation, right? At least in any, you know, that, you know, can we believe anything in Genesis 1 through 11 is basically what they're asking. They're, they're kind of throwing it out saying, you know, we don't have to take it as an actual historical event. This is just a story. This is just a myth of how things began. Let me caution you from falling into that liberal perspective of theology. Genesis does indeed record an actual, uh, the actual historical events of creation, of Adam and Eve, of Cain and Abel, of the fall, of the flood, of, of Babel, of Abram. These are actual people that existed and lived in actual history, actual time. And for us to throw those out and say they're just myth is a dangerous road to walk down. We can certainly debate how these events happened because there's a lot of unknowns about how these events happened. But we must never give up Genesis' historicity. Remember, God's primary purpose of Genesis is to reveal who he is and who we are. And he does that in real time with real people in real events, historical events. This is the amazing thing about God's word. The way that he chose to reveal to us is not by just giving us a book of do's and don'ts. We didn't you know, just dig this up or he didn't just come out of the sky and just write something you know, on the ground for us to know. No, he has actually revealed himself to us through history, through actual human beings, through people who have lived and interacted and he's interacted with them. And they've had these experiences. They've had these events that have happened. They've heard from the Lord. This is amazing and this is true. These truths that God reveals about himself, especially in the book of Genesis, nourish the roots of our faith. If we take away or begin to take away some of these these revealed truths about who God is and who we are, if we begin to add some extra things to them, our faith will most likely and for sure wither. We need to understand that our our faith is only strong because it is founded on these, these, un, these, these, un, these, I'm going to do this, slow down, all right. So, because these are truths that are real, that have happened in time and history. Each aspect of understanding of who God is, is dependent on the other. We need all of them when they bring them together and we understand what they mean, understand who this God is. It is that full picture that allows us then to worship God in his fullness. And so what, so where do we start? We start with God revealing himself to us in Genesis 1, verse 1. That's right, you guys long awaited, here it is. We're going to get so far today. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Boy, we got a long ways. That's a good job. All right, you guys can go home. That's it. Um, in the beginning, we see this is an amazing statement. The first sentence, the first few words of the Bible. I, I, there's so much here. We're going to spend two weeks on this verse. Uh, so first of all, we have to recognize what it's saying, that, that creation didn't just happen. Okay? It's not an accident. It's not just some spontaneous kind of boom, all of a sudden everything is here. It is not here because of aliens. It is here because of big G, little o, little d, God. This statement is so profound, I think so often we miss it, that the beginning of everything is God. This sets the tone, this sets the direction, this sets the perspective of everything else that we will read in Scripture, but more than that, everything else that we experience in our lives. How we view the world. If we don't get this right, the first, this one piece right, we, it, it, it screws up our whole, our whole perspective of our world. We're going to live differently if we don't get this right. If we don't understand that in the beginning, God... This profound statement defines how we are to view life and history, unequivocally stating right from the beginning that God is, he exists, and that God created. Creation, again, is not some random chance event. It's not just some natural processes that led to this. No, creation is purposeful. Creation is personal. And creation is supernatural. It's beyond nature. But if there is a God, if he exists, then what is he like? Who is he? What kind of God is this? That question is what we will seek to answer, especially over the next probably five or six weeks. Looking at the different characteristics, different personality traits, this, not traits, but personalities, and looking at the different aspects of who God is, his attributes. Because we need to know. Because if this has been created by a personal God, then that personal God has something to say about how we are to live. If creation was made purposefully, then we need to know who this God is so we can find out why it was made and what the purposes of life is, of creation is, of my life is. And so we start again from the beginning of this truth that we find in Genesis 1.1, that God is. He is. He exists. But more than that, he is self-existent. He is uncaused. Nothing ever caused him. Nothing ever created him. He is not created, and he did not even create himself. He is totally uncaused, and he's not dependent. His existence is not dependent on any other being or any other substance existing. Logic would tell us that if 
anything exists, if there is existence, if you will, then there must be a self-existent being. And since there is existence, right, we are alive, there must be a being that has always existed. And that being is God. Our self-existent God is what they call, in theological terms, a necessary being. He is the necessary, uncaused cause of all that exists. You see, all existence is dependent on this self-existent being. Again, if we didn't have existence then there would be no need for a self-existent being. But the fact that there is existence, then there has to be something that has always, some existence that has always been. And if there's some existence that has always been and there's other existences, then that thing, that, that whatever it is, that God as we're calling him, that self-existent being has the, is the one who brought about all existence. All existence is caused by God and all existence is dependent on God. Because he is necessary, therefore there cannot be a time when he did not exist. If he's never not existed, then the term we use for that is that he is eternal. He is eternally existent. Always existed. He's always been around. He's never not, exi- never not existed. He's always existed. If he is eternally existent, now we begin to stretch our minds now, he is also timeless. In God's perspective, All of his existence is now. We live in a world with time, with chronological events, and we have a really hard time understanding the timelessness of God because we think that was yesterday, this is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow, right? And so we have this perspective that in God, we, that's how we sometimes view God, that God has this, you know, he's in that, he's got a chronological order as well. But he doesn't. With God, there's this eternal now. There was actually no passage of time until he created time. And he created time when he became a creator and created existence. You see, time is actually part of creation. The amazing thing about God, because he is not, because he's timeless, he is, at, is able to be at every point in time, but is not limited by time. Okay, I know brains are starting to go, what? That doesn't make sense. I agree. It's hard to understand this, but these are the truths that we understand about who God is. Because he is timeless, he's able to be at every point in time. There's never a point in time where he's not there, but he's not limited by time. 
So he's not bound by time. He doesn't, he's not experiencing life chronologically like we are. God can view, God can view all of time or he can view one moment in time. Well, he can and he can view one moment in time. He can view it all at once or he can view it one moment. And God can act in time and does act in time, but he's not stuck in that time. This is all the logical conclusion that we come when we understand that God is an eternal existence. He is self-existence, but he's more than that. He's a necessary existence. If he didn't exist, there wouldn't be anything. We wouldn't have life. We wouldn't have any kind of existence. Matter of fact, if he ever stopped being or stopped uh, focusing or stopped doing, paying attention to his creation, we would stop existing as well. Because not only is he removed, but he's also in, in, engaged with, involved in. He's an internal being who's outside of time, but is able to interact in time. These are the things that boggle our mind and that go beyond what we can fully understand, but are true statements about God. Next, we see that God is also transcendent. Now, we've seen this already a little bit in the idea of time, that he's not in time, but he's able to interact in time. Like, he's not bound by time. He's transcendent. He's separate from time, but he's able to still interact in time. He's also that way in regards to matter. God has no matter. He's spirit, right? He doesn't have flesh and blood like we do. He's not made of the things he, uh, of the earth, right? He's not just some uh, invisible substance like air that we can't see. Okay, he's not made of anything that creation is made of. He has no body. He has no space, if you will. He takes up no space. He is not made of the materials that creation is made of. We don't know what he's made of, actually. That's the part of the mystery. We just know that he's not made of the things that he made creation with. God instead is totally separate from his creation. Transcendent. Totally separate from his creation. He's totally transcendent. There's not this fusion. Sometimes we, try, you know, we, we have uh, some scholars are trying to fuse God into creation in some way. Like they're saying that, oh yeah, they, 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 they can't exist without each other. That God needs creation and creation needs God. And there's this kind of fusion of substances into creation. But no, that's not it. He's totally separate. He's not part of creation at all. There's no, no fusion. His essence shares nothing in common with creation. Yet, amazing truth is that he is present. <laughs> Just like time, he is able to be present in every point of space throughout his creation, yet not be limited by that space. If he did, if he was made 
of matter, if he was made of the thing of the create of of, crea- of the material of creation, then he would be limited by that. But he's not. He's an unlimited God. He's outside of that, totally transcendent. He is not bound by the laws of physics in any way. The God that we worship is a God who is totally other than his creation, yet totally connected and involved with his creation. Amazing truths of who this God is that we worship. God is also simple. I don't have this point in your notes, but I'm going to go there a little bit here and just so you can add this as an extra if you're following along on your outline. God is also simple. He is totally indivisible in his essence. He cannot be divided into parts. And next week we're going to dive into this much, much more fully. He's not a, like a pie chart, right, where you got a little bit of God over here, a little bit, you know, different characteristics of God that are kind of broken out through him. He is one. Whatever he is, he's all of that. And so if he's existence, all of him is existence. Later on, we'll look at his love. If he's love, then all of him is love. But what seems like contradictory He's, if he's just, then all of him is just. God, you can't break into different parts. Whatever he is, he is that completely. There's not just one part of him that is existence. All of him is existence. He is one God, and we'll see in a couple of weeks, he also exists in three persons. Amazing truths about this God whom we worship. The characteristics of God that I've just outlined this morning can stretch the minds, can stretch our mind's ability to comprehend, can stretch us beyond what we can fully understand. But again, we have to ask the question, do we want to be worshiping a God who can be fully understood? Is a God who is fully understood worthy of our worship? Again, back to our liberal theologians, the neo-orthodoxy that we are seeing on the rise again in our world, in the Christian world, in the church. It seems so often what I see them teaching and beginning and where they begin to attack different characteristics of God or attributes of God, it seems like they're constantly trying to make God more human or to understand God in a humanistic or human way. But when we understand that he's fully transcendent, he's totally different than us, Who are we then to try to then place our humanity on him or to somehow bring him down to our level so we can understand him? A God who is worthy of worship is one who cannot be understood, one who must be totally separate, totally other than us. 
If he's just us, if he's limited by time, if he's limited by space because he has a body and he's stuck in our chronology of time, then he is not a God who is worthy of our worship. Because a God who is stuck in time, a God who is stuck in space, has no ability to know what's happening tomorrow. And if he has no ability of knowing what's happening tomorrow, how, do we can, how can we ever have hope for tomorrow? Our hope is wound up in this reality that he knows eternity, that his plan will come to be. If he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow, how can he make sure that his plan will happen, right? You know, we have to understand this reality that God has to be timeless. He has to be eternal. He has to be self-existent. He has to be totally transcendent from his creation. Otherwise, he is not worthy of our worship. And our faith withers because a faith in a God that can be humanly understood by a human mind is not a very strong person to put our faith in. It is essential that we know who God has revealed himself to be. This is an important piece. You know, I, I find too many of us as Christians, we... The Old Testament is too hard for us to understand. Theology is too hard for us to understand. Uh, Theology is supposed to be too hard. It's too hard for everyone to understand. That's the point, right? The mystery of God. So for us to make that as an excuse for us not spending time in the Old Testament or not spending time trying to understand who God is, that's just a cop-out. It's not the way that we should be. We need to understand the value and importance of this. The understanding who God is is essential to our faith. But the most amazing and powerful thing about this God that we have is he doesn't want to just be known on paper. He's a God who is personal, who is, and we'll get into this more in the future, but he is a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. And so knowing God is not just something that we study. Knowing God is something that we experience. And so we should be constantly striving to know who God is on paper, but also to experience who God is personally. If you have not experienced the love of God, then you need to be praying and seeking and asking for God to reveal himself to you in a way that you can understand and experience personally. Because it's not just a theology, it's an experience. If you have not experienced the timelessness of God, then, I, then we need to pray and ask God to reveal the timelessness of him. Help us to understand that, not just in our heads, but in our life, in our heart, in, our, in the way that we live. If God is totally transcendent, we need to not just understand that in our heads through study, but we also need to experience it in our life and seek God and ask him. As we go through this series on Genesis, on the theology, foundations of who God is, it can be easy for us to make God into a subject to be studied instead of a God to be interacted with personally. I know after four years of being in Bible college, I, I had that kind of, re- my relationship with God had become very cold. I knew a whole lot about him, but because of the four years and the demands of school, I didn't know him. 
And so as we go through, I want to continue to encourage us to not just, you know, take this information and jam it into our brains, but allow that to go into our hearts and to be seeking the Lord in that. What are the ramifications of these truths? What does that look like in my life? How have I experienced these realities? These characteristics of God, are again, are essential to worshiping, but they're essential for rooting our faith in trust in who he actually is. Great disappointment comes in the relationship with God for those who have a false perspective of who God is. Many a Christian, uh, we've all heard of, I'm sure, maybe even we've experienced this ourselves, but many a Christians have burned out in their Christianity when they did not get all the blessings that they had been promised when they became a Christian. Promised. If we have a false perception of who God is, then we ex- when we experience actually who God is, it can cause us to desert him, to leave him, right? Because he's not acting the way we, th- we thought he was. All right, Laura, why don't you come up? Just got a couple of uh, concluding thoughts here to leave with you, and then um, looks like we'll get done a little bit earlier than normal. Sweet. Sweet. And God is sweet. Although he drank his coffee black. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what we find, I think, you know, three, I think three key points that we learned from these characteristics that we've looked at this morning is the first of all that our life is in God's hands. So often we can live in this world and just think that, you know, our life is just kind of like um, kind of up in the air, right? We just don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Uh, tomorrow might be the day, and, and just uh, some accident might happen, or something's going to happen, or I make some mistake, and then, oh, man, there, I'm done, right? I, you know, it's such a, that's a, such a wrong perspective as Christians to view our life. Our life is in God's hands. He's the one who gave us life, and we will have it until he decides that it's time for us to be done on this side of heaven, right? He's the one who determines that, not our mistakes, not our just like, whoops, you know, I made a mistake. Oh, shoot, no, you know, I shouldn't have done that, darn. Right? I mean, God is the one who decides these things. He's the one who knows tomorrow. Our life is secure in his hands, not fate. Next, and this is, goes right along with it, God knows what's coming, when I fully understand and received and accepted this and was able to deal with it in a very personal way and I experienced it in a very personal way in my life, I, I, it just changed my whole perspective. I mean, it gave me so much freedom that God knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And, and because God loves me, and we'll get into that later, that's a different attribute, but because God loves me, I know that whatever happens to me tomorrow, he's going to be there with me in that. And no matter how painful that may be, God is there. 
He's with me and will help me in that. He's not going to desert me. This is amazing reality that God knows what's coming. He's never surprised by tomorrow. And when we can get our minds around that, then we can begin to live, I think, a little bit more freely, recognizing that my decisions today certainly have this impact, but it's not an impact that's beyond God's knowledge. God knows the dumb things we're going to do before we do it. That's just amazing. And then as I've already kind of hinted at, the last piece, I think, is that God is always with us. This is such a comforting reality that we have a a creator who is totally transcendent, yet has chosen to be a part of every point of time throughout history. There's nowhere we can go to escape his presence. He's there. He's not controlled by creation. He can can break the limits of creation, break the limits of uh, physics, but he chooses to be there. That is amazing. We are never alone. These foundational characteristics of who God is strengthen the roots of our faith so that our faith can flourish, so that when times of trouble come, we don't feel like we're deserted by God. We recognize he's there, and we recognize that not only did he know it was coming, he had prepared us, and that no matter what happens in that maybe horrible event, our life is secured in his hands. This is amazing, powerful truths that come from a recognition of who God is. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you revealed to us who you are. And Lord, one of the key pieces of what you've revealed is, first of all, that you are so far beyond our understanding, so far beyond our comprehension. Yet also there's this truth as well that you are understandable enough by the human mind. You've given us the ability to understand the key pieces that we need to understand, to set the direction of our life, to understand who you are, who we are, and why we should be worshiping you. So Lord, we thank you for that reality. We thank you for your love for us that's revealed in this. Lord, just the very fact that uh, not that you created, but that you want to be known reveals so much about who you are your character, that you are a personal God who wants to have personal relationships with your creation. But Lord, thank you that you have always existed. That you are the self-existent one. No one has created you. There never was a time when you did not exist. You have always been there. And that out of you, you created all life. It was through your power, through your choice, through, you, through your will that you created. And thank you, Lord, that you are totally other, totally different than who we are. Lord, if you were like us, you wouldn't be worthy of worship. 
thank you that you're totally other, yet you're involved. You're here. You're engaging with us. So, Lord, we just, we worship you. We worship you because you've given us life, but that because you also, because you sustain our life. We love you because you've given us tomorrow, but also because you know tomorrow. We love you because you're always with us, always by our side. No matter mistakes we make, no matter where we go, you are there. Psalm 139, one and following, fitting to close this message. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You stretch out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Thanks, church.